0: This morning's lesson comes from the word of Mark, nine thirty-eight through 50. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones before, believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than, have, than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worms never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Our second reading is taken from the book of Esther. We don't hear a whole lot from Esther on the most part, but there's good stuff in here. Now, I'm going to jump around a little bit. We're going to start with Esther 7, uh, verses 1 through 6, then 9 through 10, and then jump to chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. And then when I set the context, uh, after I read this, um, it'll make a little more sense to you. But listen for the word of the Lord, Esther 7, 1 through 6. So the king and Haman went into feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me. That is my petition and the lives of my people. That is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, "Who is he, and where is he? Who has presumed to do this?" Esther said. A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then moving to verses 9 and 10. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king, said, Look, the very gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. And then to chapter nine, two more verses, 20 through 22. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same month year by year, as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies, and as the month that has been tuned for them, turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days of sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so we need to take a little step back and set the scene for Esther. We were just talking about the Sunday school class, have been teaching on half truths, the idea of interpretation, and the importance of not just reading the Bible, but studying the Bible, which means often trying to get a sense of the historical context in which that book was written. So we have to go back a few generations. So Esther was written about 480 BC, and there are a couple of milestones in the Old Testament tradition that we mark as kind of um, fence posts to where we know the time in history. So we have creation, we have the flood, we have the enslavement in Egypt, and the time in the wilderness, and we have the Babylonian exile. That was around 586 BC. And the Babylonians came in, sacked the temple, first temple, wiped out. There've only been two. The Babylonians wiped out the first temple. And it was the time of exile. Some Jews were able to stay, but many more were taken to that area of Babylon and dispersed throughout the world. Then Cyrus the Great from Persia then comes and conquers Babylon. So now the Persian, uh, the Persian Empire is huge and is, spans much of the world. Took over Babylon, took over even Jerusalem. And Cyrus the Great allows the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to start work on the second temple. That's Ezra and Nehemiah, and we get to Esther in that process. So, Cyrus the Great, you have Darius, and then you have this king, King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes is another way to say his name. Xerxes in the book of Esther is the king, the king of Persia, the height of their empire, but also kind of a fool, kind of easily taken advantage of, easy to be manipulated by those around him, and he was. The bad guy in this story is Haman. He was the king's right-hand man, his second in authority, and he hated the Jews. Why? Again, we go back. If you remember the summer, we studied first and second Samuel, the way that Saul was chosen by God to be the first king. And when God and Saul parted ways is when Saul broke God's command. When he took over the Amalekites, fought them in battle, God said, wipe them out. Don't spare the king. Don't spare any of the the, the cattle, the the livestock, any of the trappings. All has to be wiped out. Saul spared the king's life kept a lot of the valuable things for himself. So God became angry. Uh, and from that point, Saul started to decline as David would rise. But at that moment, Samuel, the prophet at the time, went and did what Saul didn't do and killed King Agog. These are just fun biblical names, aren't they? Agog, killed him. And Haman is an Agagite. So he descended from that king. So Haman, it is built in that the Jews killed his king in that time and wiped out his people. So it is natural for him to have this this bias against the Jews. So Haman, uh, okay, so we have Esther, let's talk about Esther and Mordecai. Esther is, Younger, Mordecai is older. We think they are cousins. Some think it was her uncle, but the the record shows more that they were cousins. But either way, he raised her. She was an orphan. And they lived in Persia. They did not live in Jerusalem. They did not live in that area. They lived there. What was Babylon then became Persia. So Mordecai raised her. Mordecai was well thought of. One day by the gates, Mordecai overhears a plot to kill King Xerxes. He goes and tells the king, and they thwart the plot, so Mordecai is held in honor. So Haman is also seeking power in his position, because he knows he's really running the empire and put a law into effect that everybody had to bow before the king and himself, Haman. So as he goes by, people all bow. He's the man with the power and the plan. Except Mordecai doesn't bow. Why? Because he's Jewish and he will not bow to anyone but God. Similar to Daniel in, in his book, in his trappings of Babylon. So now Haman is enraged and goes and tells the king, guess what this Jew is doing? He's breaking our law. He is a threat to you and your people, which of course he wasn't. If all the Jews band together, they can take us over, which they couldn't, but the king said, okay, whatever. And Haman says, we need to wipe them all out. And remember, the Persian Empire was huge. Everywhere that there are Jews in the Persian Empire, we will kill them. Every child, every male, every female, wiped clean. Holocaust, the first pass. And the king says, okay, Haman, whatever. So he cast lots, that is, he rolled the dice, Haman, for which day would be the day that they would send word around their kingdom to destroy all the Jews. And it was about a year from the time where they were, so they had a little bit of time. So that's all set up. Now, back to the beginning. King Xerxes has a queen, Vashti. King Xerxes is throwing a big, long, six-month-long party because he's getting ready to go attack Greece. Persians and Greeks. And he's often intoxicated, often showing off his wealth and his power, and he summons the queen Vashti to come and present herself in front of his drunken party guests. Some think he asked her to bring her crown and only her crown. But whatever it was, she was to be his plaything on display, and she said, no. You don't say no to the king. So there was scandal. She said no, she didn't come. If the king requested your presence, you came. She didn't go. And they were all in a Twitter. What if all the wives take advantage of this and by example start saying no to their husbands? Oh my, we can't have that. So Vashti was deposed. She wasn't killed, but she was stripped of her queen. Title her royalty pushed out of the way so they begin a search for a new queen and to try to condense they do an, uh, a Persia kingdom wide beauty contest I don't know if they had the swimsuit competition or not but it's pretty clear that they were only looking for attractive young virgins and don't you know it Esther makes the cut She and others, these finalists are brought into the palace. It takes them one year to prepare for the final judge, the final judgment, a year. So finally they get to her, she is chosen queen. She is beautiful. One of the few times the body actually refers to the figure of a female, which is why she was chosen. So, Mordecai now overhears this plot to wipe out the Jewish faith. Haman, angry, they've chosen the day. It's a little bit later, but it's coming. And Mordecai now goes to Queen Vashti, I'm sorry, Queen Esther, now queen, and says, you've got to do something about this. And Esther kind of hymns and haws, I, I, I don't know. Because Esther wasn't, that we're aware of, very faithful or even a practicing Jew. This is one of the only books in the Bible that doesn't mention God by name. There is no prayer, there is no Torah, there is no temple, there is no practice, there is no observation of anything that would tie her to the Jewish faith, but this is her people. She says, I don't know, I don't know. Mordecai, when we hear Esther, we usually hear one of a couple of quotes. And he says, perhaps you have come into royalty for a time such as this. And when we preach on Esther, it's kind of that idea that no matter where we go or where we are, God places us where we are for such a time as this. So Esther wrestles with what to do. At the end of that chapter four, she finally says, I I can't not help my people. And then she says, okay, I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. At least she died trying. Again, that's the second quote that often you will hear people preach on. She stood up, she said, I I will try to save my people. If I perish, I perish. And so she comes into the king's presence at one of these banquets, one of these parties. He's three sheets to the wind, which he often was. And you didn't just come into the king's presence. You had to be invited. She was risking her life by not being invited and coming into his presence. So she comes in not knowing what to expect. And the king says, Esther, queen, love you. Come on in, what can I do for you? Anything you want, half my kingdom, it's yours. You tell me what you want. She says, what I'd really like is to have you and Haman and myself to have dinner, let's, let's have dinner tomorrow. Fantastic, let's do it. So the, next, so the next day they do, they have a little dinner together. And for some reason, she doesn't do it that night. She doesn't spring on them what's going on. They don't yet know that she's Jewish. That has been kept from them, kept from Haman. And so she said, and the same thing, the king asked again at the smaller dinner party, What is this? What what can I do for you? I want to do this again tomorrow with the three of us. Okay. So we go to tomorrow, and again, the, the king asks, What can I do for you, Esther? What do you desire? He says, I wish to have my life spared, and I wish to have my people spared because we've been sold out. We are due for annihilation. We are going to be wiped out and destroyed. And the king gets angry and says, Who did this? And she says, Haman did it. And in the process of getting ready to go slaughter all the Jews, Haman had built, excuse me, uh, gallows. Um, Not necessarily Old West gallows, but as an instrument of um, death and um, hanging. Some thought it might have been Uh, You impale people instead of hanging by rope, but either way, not where you want to be and it will end your life. Haman made this big structure in front of his house for Mordecai. Remember the Jew that wouldn't bow to him. Esther's kind of adopted father. And so the king, now enraged because Haman had duped him, didn't realize that Esther was a Jew and had slated to wipe out her people and said, you take Haman and you hang him on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. And he does. People are saved. Uh, Unfortunately, they go and wipe out about 75,000 other people that were against them. A couple of quick things I wanna lift up for you. Number one, God is not mentioned at all in this book of the Bible. Martin Luther, John Calvin, they, they hated this book. And it had to be fought for to be included into our biblical canon because it didn't include any of these practices, didn't include prayer, didn't mention God at all. But we know that God was there in the background even though God was not up front. God was behind the scenes. Friday night, we went to see Mama Mia at the Springer. We saw many of you there. We could have held a congregational meeting. There were so many presbyterians there. It was fun. I hadn't seen the whole thing before. We had a thoroughly enjoyable night and I was reminded again about how important the tech crew in theater is as they changed the scenes and the sets. They're the people who often dress in black so you can't see them. Sometimes you can see them but sometimes you can't but you see things moving around and flipping and things like that. Without That tech crew, the play could not continue. The actors would come back out and they'd be in the same scene they just left and they wouldn't be able to advance, move on to the next story. They are crucial and yet unseen for the development of the story. God is the same here in Esther and often the same in our lives if we are honest. Often we don't feel God present. We don't see God in the ways that we see God communicating with people in the Bible, whether that's burning bushes or pillars of smoke and fire, direct conversations, visions, all of those things. A lot of us don't have those things. Some of us do. So we can feel like God isn't present. But this book was included to remind us that even though God is not mentioned, we know that God is behind these scenes to save God's people and used Esther, someone who was not faithful, someone who married a pagan king, someone who lived away from her people to reinforce the fact that God uses every single one of us, no matter where we've been or what we've done. Many of the people in the Bible did terrible things and God used them anyway. Moses murdered a man. We know what David did with Bathsheba, murdered Uriah, her husband. We know Paul, the persecutor of this new Christian sect. All the way through, people do despicable things in the Bible, and yet God uses them. God uses Esther in the same way. Because each of us matters, each of you matters. In 19, I'm sorry, 1645 one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control over all of England. In 1776, one vote gave America English over German. In 1865, one vote granted Texas entry into the Union. In 1668, even though President Andrew Johnson had already been impeached by the House, He fell short in the Senate with two thirds majority vote needed by one vote. 1923, Adolf Hitler claims the the power of the Nazi party with one vote. And in 1941, one vote saved the selective services system 12 weeks before the attack on Pearl Harbor. What does that mean? Yes, we need to all vote when we can vote. But the bigger picture is that everybody matters. You don't know when you're gonna be that one vote that makes a difference. And in God's kingdom building, we are all that vote that matters. You are the vote for Christ that matters to someone you see in the community. You are the vote for Christ that matters to someone who is suffering in our church family. You may be the only person who somebody can have a conversation with about faith, or they see you working and living, by example, your faith. So realize that God is with us no matter what, often behind the scenes, but working nonetheless. And number two, God uses and needs each one of us to claim the same courage that Esther did to stand up and say, this is my calling, and I will follow. So then let us, with all joy, with all compassion, with all understanding in God's grace, step up and claim the call that is upon us today. Hallelujah. Amen.